0: Today's scripture reading is from Luke 7, verses 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And when the men had come, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? In that hour... Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written. Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the text collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation, and what are they like? They are like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another, We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. For those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Let us pray. Dear God, we praise you for your goodness and for your grace. We praise you, O God, for your Son. We praise you for the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We praise you for your word and scripture. We come before you today to hear your word for us. Help us to have our ears and hearts open to what you have for us this day. And help me to be a vessel for your mission. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. We often find ourselves in times or moments of anger, frustration, disappointment, restlessness, confusion, pain. When we are in these situations, what kind of prayers do we often pray to God? they usually sound something like, God, be present, or God, um, show show me your presence, or help me to feel your presence. Others are, you know, show me which path you want me to take, O God. Show me the right words to say, or God, thy will be done. These types of prayers are justified and good, but if we are truly honest with ourselves, those prayers oftentimes have some type of underlying tone or intention on our part. God, help me feel your presence in this way. Or, God, show me which path to take, as long as it's the one I want. Or, God, thy will be done, as long as you run it by me first. I think it's quite humorous that... We ask God to intervene in some aspect of our life and then get angry when He does it in a way that we did not expect or a way that we did not want. We want to control the God of the universe. It's quite bold. Find comfort, though, in the fact that even the disciples often felt the same emotions that we do when God revealed Himself in unexpected ways, and so did John the Baptist. And we see that in the passage of scripture that we are studying today in Luke seven. Last week, Pastor Jordan walked us through the first seventeen verses of chapter seven, where Jesus heals the centurion's serpent or servant, and then later raises back to life the widow's son. And in the Gospel of Matthew, this same story, Luke seven eighteen through thirty five, is seen and written about in chapter eleven. And what happens just six chapters before Matthew 11 and Matthew 5? Jesus taught to, as it says, great crowds. And what is that event called? If I could hear you through the camera, it would be, I would hear the Sermon on the Mount. And yes, you would be correct. The Sermon on the Mount was the kickoff to Jesus' earthly ministry. So much has happened leading up to our passage today, historically, whether that be in Luke or in the other Gospels. And yet... John the Baptist is still questioning and is still not certain if Jesus is, as the passage says, the one who is to come. I mean, come on, John. But I do think that if we were in his shoes, we would also be questioning still. Nevertheless, John the Baptist needs his question answered. And Jesus gives him his answer. In verse 21. In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. So John gets his question answered. And Jesus here offers us six categories of prophetic activities and abilities. These, though, aren't something that we haven't seen in Scripture before. Um, We've seen that all throughout the Old Testament. Last week, we saw how the works of Elijah and Elisha are quite similar to the works of Jesus. Now, we are met with Elijah and Elisha again, as well as a similarity through the book of Isaiah. But this time, we see more clearly that Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophets and is greater than these prophets. In verse 22, Jesus shows us the six prophetic activities that he participated in. Bestowing sight upon the blind, helping the lame walk, cleansing lepers, giving the deaf the ability to hear, raising the dead back to life, and preaching good news to the poor. We see these parallels in the Old Testament, mainly in 1 and 2 Kings with Elijah and Elisha and all throughout Isaiah. In the same way that Jesus is not the abolisher, but the fulfiller of the law in Matthew, Jesus is also the fulfillment of the prophets. But this was a surprise to John the Baptist. Instead of Jesus being the fulfillment of the prophets, or greater than the prophets, John was predicting that the one who is to come was just going to be another Elijah, the second coming of Elijah. We see Jesus clarify this point, though, in the Gospel of Matthew. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus came into this world and manifested himself in an unexpected way according to John, hence his doubt and questioning. In the next section of verses, Jesus starts by asking the crowds why they had come out into the wilderness. Jesus asked them if they came out to see a reed shaken by the wind or a man dressed in soft clothing. In both of these examples, Jesus supports later on. Why does he use these two examples? Let's first examine a reed shaken by the wind. When out in the wilderness, one would expect to see reeds and trees being tossed around by the wind. However, no one goes out into the wilderness to see such a thing. It's just something that you observe along the way. Think of a trip on your way to Florida or on vacation. You stop at a Love's Travel Center because I don't know why Love's, that's just my favorite place. But you stop there, and sure, it's great to refuel on gas, it's great to maybe go to the bathroom or grab some snacks and drinks, but that's not your ultimate destination, it's just a stop along the highway to ultimately getting to where you're going to for vacation. You're not going to drive 14 hours down to, you know, southern Georgia to go to Florida or to go to um, a Love's Travel Center. At least I hope not. Jesus makes a similar argument. Who goes into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? It is simply something you observe along your way to your destination. The next rhetorical question Jesus asked the crowds is if they came out to see a man dressed in soft clothing. In the days of Jesus, people often only had one garment that they wore every day. Now, if you had some type of soft clothing or fine clothing, it meant that you were wealthy and powerful. And if you were wealthy and powerful, that meant that you weren't necessarily living on the outskirts of the city, but you were living in the palace, in the king's courts. We do not learn anything about the garments of John the Baptist here in, the, in Luke, but the Gospel of Mark does say that John's garments were made of rough camels hair. That's in, Matthew, uh, that, sorry, that's in Mark 1.6. The argument Jesus makes here is clear. Why would a person in the wilderness, surviving off of locusts and wild honey, be wearing soft, rich clothing that you would see in king's courts? So early in quarantine, my brother and I were helping out a family in Monroe Center shipments of hogs would be sent to the butcher. Hog pens, to put it lightly, aren't the most clean, fresh buildings that you could ever work in. Those of you who are familiar with hog barns, you know exactly what I'm talking about. They're hot. Even when it's cold, it's hot in there. They're thick dust from the grains, and just the smell is, is on a whole nother level. When I would go to work there early in the morning, what do you think my brother and I wore? Were we... Wearing a suit and tie? Or were we wearing boots and jeans? Obviously, we were wearing boots and jeans. <laughs> You'd have to be a madman to want to go work in a hog barn. Wearing a suit and tie. If you want to see someone in a suit and tie, you, you, go to the, you go to the bank or you go to the big city. For the crowds of people Jesus was talking to, if they wanted to see a person with soft or fine clothing, they would go not to the wilderness where they were, but instead to the king's palace, where that is where that clothing is seen regularly. Jesus then clarifies for the crowds that they came out to see a prophet, and more than that. John is, as verse 27 says, uh, he is the messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. This quote John, Jesus cites is from the Old Testament, the, in the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. This text, therefore, helps us indicate that John is actually the Elijah reborn, the second Elijah. It's funny how John thought that Jesus was going to be that, but in fact, we see that John is. The other version of this text in Matthew 11 clarifies this when Jesus says in verse 13, For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. So because of this truth Jesus goes on to acknowledge that among those born of women there is none greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. What does what does this mean? How does that work? So John the Baptist is greater than any who has been born of any woman because of his preparation and groundwork for the coming kingdom. John was chosen to do this, and yet the least in the king, he is still least in the kingdom of God? Or rather, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than he? How, how could this be, you ask? Well, I'm, I'm glad you're asking. Thank you. I can hear you. John the Baptist is known to be the last prophet before Jesus, and it is written about him that he inaugurated the coming kingdom. Now, thanks to the coming of Jesus and the works of him, we have seen the full earthly ministry and the full revelation of Jesus and therefore we now have a, are in a greater prophetic position than John was since he only anticipated and announced the coming of Jesus and he actually didn't even see the whole life and ministry of Jesus as he was martyred for his faith. Think about it in the same way of how you think about your favorite sports team. Prior to the season... You're talking about, oh, what your expectations are for the season and what you think the record's going to be, if you're going to go to the playoffs or not. However, when the season's complete, we have the full picture. We have the full revelation of how the season actually went and how successful it was. For us Christians, because we are living in a time after the life and death and resurrection of Christ... And that we now have the full revelation of God here in Scripture. We now are in a greater prophetic position or standing than John the Baptist or any other prophet. That is why the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John. So Jesus ends the passage by giving us a comparison for the people of this generation. When Jesus says this, the the people of this generation, he is describing those people in that day who denied the teachings of both himself and John but it can also be accredited to all people since then who deny both of their teachings. Jesus likens them, the people of this generation, to children sitting in the marketplace who say to one another, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. Jesus elaborates this in verse 33 and 34, saying, for John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon the son of man has come eating and drinking and you say look at him a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners the choices of john were seen as too severe too strict by the world and yet the choices of jesus were too indulgent john was seen as for having a demon for his choices of being strict jesus was seen as being a drunkard a glutton a friend of sinners The world will never be satisfied with what Jesus came to do and what he came to fulfill. Thankfully, Jesus gives his children hope in the final verse, verse 35. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. It's quite strange, you may, you may be thinking, that, that wisdom is given women or feminine Pronouns, But this isn't the only place that this happened in Scripture. Proverbs 8 and 9, both of those whole chapters, talk about and discuss wisdom, and they give women feminine pronouns as well. But who are the children of wisdom? The children of wisdom are, quite frankly, the ones who are righteous in the eyes of God. That is what wisdom is defined as. But wisdom... Compared to our world is defined differently. Wisdom is determined by one's education, by one's work experience, by one's philosophical understanding, their ability to reason and use of, and use logic. But God has made the wisdom of the world folly. We see Paul say, state in 1 Corinthians 3, 18 through 20, let no one deceive himself. If anyone anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Christians are fools to the world. Christianity is Folly to the world, yet God has made what what wisdom is to the world foolishness in the kingdom of God, and vice versa. What we believe and what is taught by God in Scripture is not the way of the world. It is unexpected by the world, and quite frankly, it's it's hated by the world. Christ came in a way that even the greatest prophet, John the Baptist, did not expect or plan. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets, not abolish them. He came to not just show us how to live a Christian life, but more importantly, he came to bear the full weight of your sin and my sin on the cross and by being the substitute by taking our deserved place on that cross. Christ came in a way that was unpredicted, and thanks be to God for that. Praise God that Christ came and did, not, and did what he did. If the one who is to come came how the prophets and the Pharisees expected him to, that is not a God worth serving. But our God and his Son, our Savior, Jesus, they are worth serving. Amen? Christ will intervene in our lives in ways that we do not expect and do not want. But if there is anything that we know about Jesus through this passage in Luke, it is that we need a Christ that comes in unexpected ways. Because when he does, the mission of God is manifested in and through us. And we are made more and more righteous and more and more into the image of who God is. Friends, expect the unexpected. Trust that the purpose of God will be manifested in us perfectly by His will. Because trust me, it will. Let us believe the good news that we have heard today. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we praise you for your perfect will and perfect providence. You come in ways that we do not expect or want, you come in times that we least expect. But God, thy will be done. Give us the faith to relinquish the control that we think we have and to instead rest in your purpose for our lives. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your word. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.